0: We have a lot of kids, y'all, <laughs> which is a wonderful thing, yeah, a great blessing, but when they leave, it's like, wow, okay, it's like half the church, so. which is a beautiful thing. All right, well, we are continuing uh, to look at Genesis, as y'all know, and if you'll uh, open your Bible, if you have one, to Genesis 33, uh, you can follow along. If not, you'll find it in the bulletin. Uh, we've been in Genesis for quite a while, and now we are just wrapping up this week and next week, Lord willing, the story of Jacob, so that when we get into the new year, uh, we'll be finishing Genesis with Joseph's story, okay? So that's the plan here. We will. There is an end in sight to Genesis, uh, but I hope that we've all recognized that so many of the biggest Bible themes are dealt with right here in the first book. Um, so many practical life lessons dealt with right here in the first book. And tonight is no exception. We're talking about tonight forgiveness and reconciliation, especially between us and other people. All right, y'all ready for it? Let me read it to you. This is the story of Jacob meeting finally Esau, a meeting that he's been afraid of for quite some time. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I have met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I'll go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock there ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Sukkot and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Sukkot. And Jacob came safely to the land of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he brought, bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, have you ever had a meeting that didn't go the way you expected it to go? <laughs> Everybody laughs. Why? Why? <laughs> Because we've all had it, right? Uh, Now, when I ask you that question, what do you normally think of? Usually it's like worse, right? You're probably in your mind thinking, I expected it to be good, and man, was it not. It was terrible. But are there occasions where you expect a meeting to be bad, and you surprisingly and gratefully find out it wasn't as bad as I thought? Well, that maybe happens less often than the first one. But at least here in this case, Jacob can say, I was terrified. I did not want to meet Esau. I thought all the worst things were going to happen. And yet when I finally met Esau, Esau was actually ready to embrace me. He didn't want to kill me. Which is remarkable. I mean, it's been 20 years. um, But for all Jacob knows, the last time he actually saw Esau, remember what Esau had said? 20 years before, next time I see you, if dad's dead, you're dead. As long as dad's alive, you're okay because I don't want to kill you in front of dad, but when dad dies, I will kill you. Well, that's the last he heard. That's not very comforting. And yet when he comes to Esau here, something has happened in Esau's heart. Something amazing, actually. And Esau falls on his brother, actually weeps and kisses him, and wow, Jacob is overwhelmed with such surprise that he gives you know, Esau a lavish gift, which originally was intended as an appeasement, and now becomes like a peace offering for them to share together as brothers. Well, let's talk about that tonight, because I think this story helps us understand how to forgive others, why we should forgive How to reconcile to people and why we should do it, okay? So if you look at the the bulletin, actually there are three things I want to note tonight, and we'll talk about each one of them. First of all, there's an example of reconciliation here, of what it is. Secondly, there's a reason for reconciliation given in this passage, which is really important to note. And then lastly, there is actually a picture of the greatest reconciliation ever performed in this passage. And you might be able to guess what it is, but don't skip to the end yet. <laughs> Let's talk about it one point at a time. First of all, there's an example of reconciliation. Um, what, is, what does it mean to reconcile to someone? What does it actually mean to forgive another person when they've wronged you? To make it right. To make it right. For what reason, Mickey? Yeah, you're making it right in order to restore, restore the relationship. That's essentially what reconciliation is. It's, it's making something right, which there are several steps involved in it, which we can actually see being played out here, in order that the relationship might, if possible, be restored. Now, it doesn't always mean that the relationship will be restored when you have made the effort. Uh, but the intent is that the relationship could be if, it, if the other person was willing as well. Well, in this case, uh, I want you to notice how dramatic forgiveness can be. Uh, you know, we've all kind of seen those movies that uh, someone wrongs someone. And usually they're in Western movies. And the, the good guy is chasing the bad guy to get sweet vengeance. Right. And we're and we are cheering on the bad guy. And then there comes the end and he's finally got him right at the end of his barrel. And instead of shooting, him, he just drops the gun. Have you ever seen a movie like that? He chooses to show mercy. And every time, we have to admit, right, there's something in us that's like, wow, how beautiful. But there's also something in us that's like, dang it. I wanted to see justice. I I wanted to see vengeance because that guy really wronged him. And it was in his rights to pull that trigger, we think, right, at least in our hearts and minds. But reconciliation at the bottom of it is learning how, listen to this, It's learning how to absorb the cost of that person's wrong so that you would not hold either them or yourself hostage for it anymore. And so when that person drops the gun at the end of the movie, they're actually showing you something very heroic, something actually very godlike. This is what God does when he reconciles us to himself, he absorbs the cost. So that we aren't held hostage. And you know if we could talk this way. It's probably not exactly appropriate to talk this way. But God's also not held hostage by it. Because he is completely free to forgive. He he forgives as often as he wishes to forgive. And for us we forgive. And it sets us free. From having to chase that person down. To get blood. To make them pay. Uh, Jacob here is on a mission to reconcile with his brother. But he does not believe that his brother is going to be ready for it. And so Jacob, you know, shows a little bit of a sign of, of being changed, a changed man. If you look at there at verse, um, starting in verse 1, uh, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, he saw Esau, and just like it was reported to him, Esau had 400 men with him, which to him means war. I'm about to die if I don't play this right. And yet, notice what happens, verse 3. Jacob went himself ahead of all his children and his wives. This is, if you remember, a reversal from what Jacob had planned to do before he wrestled with God that night. Before he had wrestled with God, he thought, "Okay, I'll send the servants first, then Leah, then Rachel, then my favorite Joseph, and then finally I'll come." You know, he's he's at first wanting to hedge everything so that he is protected. But after he's wrestled with God in the night and God has revealed to him his mercy on his life, Jacob is willing to say, all right, I'm going to go out in front. And and whatever happens, even if Esau has got the intent to kill, at least it'll just be me. Now, you know, Jacob, though, is only kind of half changed because notice he still keeps the order the same. The order of favoritism where the servants first, Leah second, Rachel third, Joseph, you know. Clearly this is painful to even read in the Bible but clearly this shows Jacob's favoritism which is really ugly and not very heroic but at least there's some ground being made here. Uh, he, he's going to bow himself down seven times in front of Esau. He's putting his neck out there in order to absorb the cost of what he had done to Esau so that Esau would have it in his heart to forgive I don't think Jacob had any concept of Esau doing what he actually did, though. I don't know what you think about it, but I don't think it was anywhere in Jacob's mind that Esau's response was going to be verse 4. What does Esau do? Ran to him. Let me read that again. Ran to him to kill him? What does it say? To hug and kiss him. (laughs) I mean, there's just no way in my mind that Jacob has thought that was even possible. And yet, that's exactly what ends up happening. Esau runs in order to embrace his brother, fall on his neck, kiss him, and immediately both brothers weep. Jacob is ready to lay himself down like a servant. I will serve you, Esau, if you'll just forgive me for what I did do all those years ago. And Esau is ready to receive him, no questions asked, as a brother. As if Jacob had not ever done anything wrong against him. This is another example, by the way, that we've seen several times in in Genesis about how sometimes the believers get played by the unbelievers. Because God's mercy kind of showers over both believers and unbelievers and, and God's mercy and grace can actually beautify the lives of believers in ways they didn't even they're not responsible for but it happens because God's gracious and here Esau a man who there's no indication that he's changed his mind about God right none at all and yet here's a man that somehow over 20 years he has learned how to make peace with what happened between him and his brother so much so that he's willing to accept Jacob as if no wrong had ever been done. My dear brother, can we pick back up where we left off? Except this time we're not rivals, we're shoulder to shoulder. Wow. Well, what do you think, by the way, it was that God did in Esau's heart to get him to that point? Well, it looks like he was blessed. I mean, he seems to have as much, if not more, than you know, uh, Jacob. Yes. That's right. That's probably a huge part of it. That's right. Yeah, God's kindness in blessing him materially had probably eased a lot of his anxiety about being ripped off. Um, You know, which is what had happened. He'd been ripped off by his brother. And in Esau's mind, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Isaac, was, as best we can tell, it was purely material. Right. He only thought of it as a material thing. So he was sad that Jacob had stole the materials away. Now, really, the biggest thing Esau had lost was the spiritual blessing, the grace of being in the covenant family, but he didn't even have categories for that. But when God blessed him with material things, it it opened up his heart and softened his heart towards his brother who had stole what he thought was just material things. And so 20 years later, he's able to say, hey, let bygones be bygones. Looks like I'm richer than you anyway, so let's, let's make up. You know, the world has been kinder to me than you. You spent, you know, 20 years up in the desert up there chasing around somebody else's sheep. I heard all about it. You know, I read the Desert Times and, you know, the gossip around the desert was you were really getting it stuck to you. And here I have been just amassing wealth. So why not? Let's just be brothers, whatever it was. It doesn't really actually matter in this case except for the fact that God is being kind both to Esau and to Jacob because any time we hold grudges, any time we're unwilling to extend forgiveness and to at least try to reconcile with people, we are actually putting ourselves in prison. We're putting ourselves as hostages uh, that you know, of our own making, really. You know, we, we are putting ourselves in the cell and locking it and then throwing the key out. Uh, if we aren't willing to let go of what people do to us it doesn't mean that we ignore that what people do to us is really bad it doesn't mean we act like it's not bad it does not mean that we don't want to see some form of justice done or or some form of of uh... you know restoration of goods or whatever done sometimes that's necessary but but even if the restoration of goods doesn't happen Forgiveness still says, I am not going to inwardly hate you. Inwardly, I'm going to forgive you. Inwardly, I'm going to offer reconciliation, whether you receive it or not. And, of course, the model for this is God and how God treats us. Uh, To whom does God offer forgiveness? In the gospel message? To the world, right? He, He offers forgiveness far and wide. Come to Jesus, repent and believe, and you shall be forgiven. Who actually gets the forgiveness of God? The ones he calls calls and the ones who receive that gift. The ones who by faith say, yes, I I will repent and I will embrace what you have offered to me. But the indication is God is still offering. God is still putting that free offer out there for people to receive. Um, Same thing for us. Everybody that we apologize to or everybody that we confront about what wrong they've done to us will not always cooperate, will not always want to apologize, will not always want to accept our apology. But what is in our responsibility is to let it go within ourselves because of what God has let go, in our case, (laughs) what He has forgiven us so that uh, as much as depends on us, we're at peace with them and we are free. Uh, Jacob has this in his heart, but he, you can tell he doesn't really think it's going to be in Esau's heart. So he's trying to like, hedge his bets for the worst-case scenario. And yet God has just overwhelmingly been kind to Jacob and blesses him with the best-case scenario. And these brothers are able to make amends. Uh, the relationship is not exactly the way, you know, it's not perfect. We'll see that in just a second. But it's at least not antagonistic anymore. They're not after each other's heads, which is a huge blessing. And so, you know, as as we read this, you know, I, I, I was thinking this week myself, and I would encourage you to think, are there any relationships in your life that need this kind of reconciliation? Are there any moves you need to make? Whether that is coming to someone to apologize, kind of like Jacob was doing, or whether it's Esau, whether you need to run towards someone, and offer your forgiveness to them for what they've done to you. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's a godlike thing. It's the basis of our whole faith, and um, it ultimately sets us free. All right. So that there's there's reconciliation, a um, an example of it here in this story. Now, there's also a reason for it given in verses twelve through uh, seventeen, and this this um, this point is a little bit subtle but I want to try to draw it out Uh, look at verse 12 Uh, Esau said okay let's journey on our way and I'll go ahead of you but Jacob says my lord knows that the children are tired the the flocks will die if I drive them and so you go on ahead and I'll meet you later and then it turns out that Jacob ends up going in the opposite direction Uh, (laughs) we got to talk about this okay so think about Esau when Esau says, Let's journey on our way and I'll go ahead of you, what does he mean? What is he looking for? Safety, Safety? okay. Yeah. He wants Jacob to follow him so they can like, live together. That's right, yeah. And He's like, Wow, okay, I'm rich now. God's blessed me. We've wept with each other why don't you come with me, follow me, and you can kind of join my posse with your littler posse, and we can become one big posse. And we can enjoy the riches and live on the land, and we'll be side by side, brothers again. Now, there's something in Jacob that knows that's not right. And so he refuses it, except he does the sinful thing of, pretending like he's accepting it and then refusing it in secret which we'll get to in just one second but he knows in his heart he's not supposed to do it now why think about that why is he not supposed to go with Esau after all they've forgiven one another what's the big deal because that wasn't where God had told him to go and it wasn't who God told him to go with right Uh, Esau, for all the good that God had done in his life, was not a worshiper of God. He was not a keeper of God's covenant. For Jacob to be yoked, so to speak, with Esau, tied to Esau like in this business sort of partnership, would have been a betrayal of God's calling in his life. And so one of the great sort of lessons here is that forgiveness of a person who's wronged you and reconcil- an attempt at reconciliation doesn't always mean that you're going to be partners again doesn't always mean that it still may mean you need to go your separate ways forgiveness doesn't mean always that you've got to be best friends <laughs> or, that, or, or that you've got to be yoked especially in this case Jacob had a calling on his life by the covenant of God to be a peculiar people, to be a special people devoted to him. Jacob could not go to a foreign land away from the promised land and mix together with idolaters, which is what Esau had become. Remember, he had married all the Philistine women and all the Amorite and Hittite women, and they were, by this point, worshiping all kinds of gods in all kinds of ways. And though Esau had forgiven Jacob and though Jacob had expressed his apology and had really shown his sincere, um, you know, sadness over what he had done and heartbrokenness, it still was not the right thing for them to be together. And so the reason why, this this is the subtle point, the reason why we forgive someone, the reason why we pursue reconciliation is not so that we might enter once again into partnership with them or so that we might once again have to trust them because you can forgive someone and still not trust them. You ever done that? It's something you should try because you're going to have to do it a lot in your life. Um, because, right? Because forgiveness is given, trust is earned over time. Now, someone may earn your trust back, and you should, in certain cases, of course, you should give them the opportunity to earn that trust back, but trust, nevertheless, is earned. And um, forgiveness is a different matter. And so Jacob forgives, but he doesn't trust, and rightfully so. The reason why he ought to forgive, the reason why he ought to reconcile to Esau, is not so that the relationship might become a partnership again, but because Jacob knows who the real enemy is. And it's not Esau. And Esau... Probably hasn't learned this lesson deeply, but at some level he has come to understand too that the real enemy in his life is not Jacob. Here's the point. I told you it was subtle, but I want you to hear this. The reason why we are required to forgive and to try to reconcile with people who wrong us is because they are not the ultimate enemy, and we are not the ultimate judge. Okay, first of all, who is the ultimate judge? God we must let God judge them we must let God get vengeance vengeance is mine saith the Lord right that's a very famous verse vengeance is not mine vengeance is his I must give it to him second thing he's the judge who is the real enemy Satan we can list them right Satan starts with an S ends with an N Sin, yeah, sin, my own sin, like, right? And actually, Jacob, I think, understands this, or at least he should understand it, because as soon as he, he realizes in his heart, I can't go with you, Esau. And yet he resorts instead of to plain dealing and saying, Esau, I'm sorry, we can't be in business together because I serve the Lord, the God of our Father, and you've forsaken the God of our Father, and I, and I love you, but I can't. Instead of doing that, he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll catch up. And as soon as he goes away, he goes the other direction. He takes refuge behind a lie, which shows that Jacob is still contending with the actual enemy in Jacob's life. The actual enemy didn't walk away towards Seir. The actual enemy stayed right there. It was in his own heart. That's huge. There are really, truly... Victims and victimizers in this world. Don't get me wrong. There are situations where someone's the victim and someone's the victimizer. Absolutely. But it is always important for every person to recognize that, that in other situations, you too have been the victimizer. Or at least you could be. And that's kind of the key and the motivation to all forgiveness and reconciliation. Is that it's not just that person that's the sinner that needs to be stoned and cast out. It's me too. I think, you know, after all this time, you know, 20 years of trying to run away from God, Jacob has finally got that. Now, it hasn't made him a perfect person. He's still continuing to sin. But at least he knows where the fight is. He lets Esau go. I don't have to fight you because I got my own stuff to fight. I don't need your blood to satisfy my soul. God hasn't taken my blood when he could have many times because look at all the stuff I've done against him. Do you see? A reason for reconciliation is recognizing that each and every one of us have hurt other people. Each and every one of us have needed to be forgiven. You know, Uh, Tim Keller uh, wrote a new book recently, and I I do recommend it to you. I I haven't, I've only gotten a little bit into it, but it's called Forgive. It's a great book. It's brand new. Uh, Forgive, why should I and how can I? And he tells a story uh, towards the beginning of the book, which I thought was really, really uh, good. Uh, it, It described this point, I think, very well about a young man who... Uh, Was 15 years old, uh, living in Brooklyn. He had gotten kind of caught in various street gangs in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, one day he was shot six times uh, during a gang fight. And he was left paralyzed from the waist down. And he sat for, you know, most of the next year in a hospital room in New York City. And he spent most of that year laying in the hospital room fantasizing about revenge Uh, Later, he wrote about this experience, and he he talked about how revenge had consumed him, that it was all he could think about. Uh, He thought day and night about when he got better, he would go and find that kid who shot him, and he would make him pay, and it would be sweet because I would finally get... Look at what he's done to me. He's taken away my ability to walk. He's taken away all these things. But here's what he says, and listen to this. When he was lying on the sidewalk immediately after the shooting... He had instinctively called out to God for help. And to his surprise, he had felt a strange tranquility. Now, during his rehabilitation, a new thought struck him. Namely, that if he took revenge on this kid, why should God not pay him back for all his sins? This is him writing now, the boy. You see, six months before this happened, I shot a kid. For no reason, except that a friend told me to do it, and I wanted to prove how tough I was. Six months later, I'm shot by someone because his friend told him to do it. That thought, he says, was electrifying. He could not feel superior to the perpetrator. They were both fellow sinners who deserved punishment and needed forgiveness. And here's what he he writes. Think about this. In the end, I decided to forgive. I felt God had saved my life for a reason and that I had a better purpose to fulfill. And I knew I could never go back out there and harm someone. I was done with that mindset and the life that goes with it. I came to see that I had to let go and stop hating. It's a true story. Powerful story, right? How quickly our hearts can forget about the guy we shot six months ago when we get shot six months later and yet how God can use our times of desperation when we call out to him and he comes and blesses us like Jacob in the wilderness getting wrestled by God into submission he can use that to remind us of his kindness towards us so that when someone wrongs us it wouldn't be hate that spews out but a a desire to make, make it right a desire for peace Forgiveness always, you know, it's not that the man had to say, well, it's not a big deal that you shot me. Same thing now. Uh, We should not expect that those who are victimized by us or by others should just say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. There's no thing that you ever have to pay. That's never the case. I'm not saying that. But I'm talking about on a spiritual level. If we're going to lock ourselves out of the prisons of revenge and and hate, we're going to have to reckon with the fact That yes, they wronged us, and they wronged us in a tremendous way, but God is the judge, and the real enemy is not them after all. The real enemy is Satan, the real enemy is sin, and it's in me too. And if God required my sins of me, I would be dead. But he hasn't, graciously. (laughs) And so therefore, how can I beg payment? from them, or at least a payment that would satisfy completely, because it can't can't happen. Now, this leads us to the last thing, and this is the most beautiful of all. There's a picture in this story of the greatest reconciliation ever made. I want you to look back. um, Well, first of all, look at the end of the passage, and notice what Jacob does after all this is done. Verse 18, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, and he camped there, and he bought a piece of land for a hundred pieces of money, and then he pitched his tent on it. And then what does he do in verse 20? What's he do? Built an altar. Built an altar. What does that mean? He wants to worship. He wants to worship. He wants to give thanks to God. He wants to acknowledge the Lord's presence in his life, the Lord's mercy. In fact, he calls the altar El Elohe Israel. God, the God of Israel. Remember what his name is at this point. Israel. God has renamed him Israel instead of Jacob. God, you're the God of me. You're you're my God. This is an altar I want to build to your honor. What, What does Jacob realize? This forgiveness that has happened between me and Esau, it didn't lead to partnership because Esau is unrepentant, but it did lead to me being able to be locked out of a prison of my guilt and him being locked out of a prison of his vengeance. And so I'm going to worship you because I know that you ultimately are responsible for the good that was expressed in this reconciliation moment. You are the author of, of reconciliation. And if you'll go back in the passage, you'll see kind of what he means by that. In verses four and following again, Uh, listen to this again and think about New Testament, um, you know, New Testament similarities, okay? Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Have you heard that anywhere in the New Testament? The parable of the prodigal son, Jesus basically lifts that out and says exactly the same thing about the father running after the prodigal son, falling on his neck, embracing him, kissing him, and weeping. It's, almost, it's exactly the same. Who is the father in the prodigal son's story? God, right? It's, it's a, an example of how God reaches out to sinners like us, whether we're the prodigals or whether we're the older brother, self-righteous. God is reaching out. In mercy, To the prodigal who returns home, he is running back like Esau did to Jacob. This is a picture of the greatest reconciliation ever made. In fact, Jacob knows that's exactly what's happening because in verse 10 he says, I have seen your face, Esau, which is like seeing... What? Face. God and you have accepted me. What in the world does he mean by that? What does he mean? Seeing Esau's face is like seeing God's face.: well, Yes. He saw a face forgiving, right? He saw a face accepting. He saw a face weeping. He saw a face kissing. He saw a face running. He saw that in spite of all that he had done to wrong Esau, and it had been significant, Esau was still pouring his heart of love out to him. And he said, wait a minute, that reminds me of somebody. That reminds me of that strange man that jumped me last night. And as the sun was coming up, I realized, this ain't no man. I won't let you go till you bless me. And he saw it in his eyes. He saw that same look, right? In other words, the greatest reconciliation that has ever happened in this world is when God sent his son into the world as if to run after us when we were running away from him. When God put His Son to shame and to death on the cross because we deserve to be put to shame and death. When God laid His Son's cold, dead body in a tomb for three days because we deserve to have our lives stripped from us forever. The greatest reconciliation occurred in that moment. Instead of making us pay for what we had done against God, God paid for it. Instead of holding it over our heads, he ran after us to take it away from our heads. Jacob said to Esau, when I saw your face, it was like seeing God's face. And you accepted me. Forgiveness is hard. Everybody with me? Real hard. Reconciliation, extremely hard. Oh, it costs. Oh, it hurts. Don't ever let anybody tell you it's easy because they're trying to sell you something. It's not easy. It's hard, hard, hard. The only way that I can think of that I would be able to have The ability to do it is if I first had stared into the face of God doing it to me. So that when I thought about looking into their eyes, the person that wronged me, I would want them to be able to say about me what Jacob said about Esau. Because I've been so overwhelmed by what I saw in God's face when he Loved me rather than cast me away, that I want to simply spread the joy of that around as much as I can. And if in a single moment I can help somebody else say, looking at your face was like looking at the face of God because you accepted me, I think that's worth it. It's worth the cost. There's so much about this story that encourages me. There's also so much about this story that challenges me. Um, One of the things that challenges me is it's so ironic that (laughs) the one who's better at this is the one who really doesn't know God very well. (laughs) Um, That also reminds me of another story Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan, right? Where, where the two religious people don't know how to love and then the Samaritan guy who doesn't know anything good about religion is able to help, right? I mean, Jesus is always wanting to show us that God's grace is equal opportunity and that we should never presume on his grace. He can give it wherever he wants, whenever he wants. But there's also something real humbling because I see myself a lot in Jacob, you know. Uh, instead of wanting to own up and ask forgiveness or to give forgiveness you know I want to scheme and I want to say yeah I'm right behind you go ahead I'll follow you while I'm going the other way you know I want to do all those things that are more convenient less costly and yet this story I think is always in the Bible pushing us pushing us pushing us if you've seen the face of God accepting you be the face of God accepting others